Welcome to Real Rover. I'm your roving host, John Craig. Real Rover へようこそ。Craig John でございます。Introducing you to people you would never have heard of if it wasn't for Real Rover. Here we go. Welcome to Real Rover, Clinton Callahan. You are now where? I'm in a little town called Robbinsburg in the southern part of Germany.、Uh, before that, I was in Mallorca in Spain, and after this, we'll be in New Zealand. Wow. Moving. Glad I caught you. So, I'd like to take the, the opportunity here to、uh, tell the listeners about your background in your own words. You were kind enough to fill out the pre interview questionnaire. So, I'll just read it. Bring people up to speed to who I'm interviewing. So, Clinton, you've got a BS degree in physics, California, 1975. You co created a three month free school with four others in the outback of Baja, California, 75. Married, 1980. Journeyed westwards around the world for two and a half years, including working as an English teacher very close to here in Osaka. For six months, Gokuro Sama deshita. Got into various spiritual schools. Two home births, home free, unschooled daughters, an amazing accomplishment. Who are now happily married to French brothers in France. You got five grandchildren, and、uh, they love horses. You left physics and entered mimetic engineering as a trainer in 1991 in Arizona. Moved to France to run a Western Ball Ashram, which I'll be interested in finding about, for 10 years. You invented this very key phrase, possibility management, in 1998. And you delivered the first Expand the Box training, invented and delivered possibility labs, got divorced 2004, moved to Germany. Got married 2006 again, wrote Wild Thinking in 2004. The first of your 52 sparks was specific practical applications of radical knowledge. And we'll get to sparks in a moment, what that means and why you called it sparks. Radiant Joy, Brilliant Love, very interesting book I'm into right now, 2007.、Uh, Directing the Power of Conscious Feelings, 2010. Good Night Feelings 2014, got divorced again. 2016, hit the road, created the Trainer Guild, and you are now creating、uh, Start Over and writing more books. What a brilliant, adventurous, incredible, eclectic, amazing life you have had. So, what should we share with people about? Expanding the box right away. What is the box that we need to expand? Well, that box, that box, everybody, there's only one box that's really hard to see, and it's the one that we're in. But it's very easy to find other people's boxes because other people have rules and belief systems and like decisions, old decisions, and they have Stories that they have, and conclusions, and assumptions, and expectations, and all those things. It's really, we run into those almost immediately when we, even when we walk into a party and look around for who we want to talk to. You know, it's, we can find out people who are going to be easy to talk to and those we will never even meet at the party. And we can scan for other people's boxes. But the thing is, for us, we think, who, me? I don't have a box. I'm, I am this way. This is, I can't do that. You know, I have to have things this way. This is really who I am. I really, so, so it, that's, that's actually makes it necessary for us to work in groups because in that way, in the group and in the circle, it's, we can reflect back on each other to help us actually discover the mechanism that we're trapped inside and that is forcing us to do mechanical behaviors and also blocking us from. Huge internal and external resources that are waiting for us to jack into so that we can actually deliver what we came here to do. And so, in a sense, your box is, in a sense, your box is like your、uh, 
your prepackaged belief system that your education, your upbringing, your experience has, has uh, brought you to? Is it that? Yeah, I mean, there's other names for it, like like identity or personality or comfort zone or worldview, you know, mindset. These are all other names. Ego, psychology, they're really all names for the same thing, which we just simplify it all and package it all together and just call it that box. And it's an interface between our being and the world. And it's, it's not bad and it's not wrong and it's not stupid. It's, it's valuable. We need that thing as an interface. And, and uh, the thing is that it's like, uh, it serves us like a cocoon, like for a butterfly has this cocoon as it's in its transition from the worm to the butterfly. Without the cocoon, it couldn't make it. But imagine the butterfly not being able to get out of the cocoon that's our condition for the most part, because modern culture has, for the most largely exterminated uh, authentic initiatory rites of passage into adulthood. So we're missing the crack, you know, we're missing the, the, the split in the cocoon that lets us come out and into the world and, and let those wings fly. I like the cocoon analogy. Uh, some people may not be familiar with what actually happens inside the cocoon. Mm just before the butterfly uh, comes out <laughs> or inside an egg uh, before the, the chick hatches. And what happens is a catastrophic change yeah. in the environment. Massive amounts of poisons and toxins are released. And if that creature doesn't get out of there, presto, there mm -hmm. isn't going to be any birth. So here you already have the idea that to, to, to get out of this box, to get out of this cocoon, there, there seems to be an attending crisis, difficulty. Um, Barbara Marx Hubbard called them evolutionary drivers. Things mm -hmm. that just punch you right out of there because you can't stay there forever. However, you've, I think you've very correctly delineated that we are an adolescent culture still. Uh, mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're kids in grown-up bodies. And I'm interested in how you were brought to this box concept. What happened in your life that inspired you to start looking for new possibilities? Well, I realized back in college that after five years of studying physics, I wasn't learning what I actually went there to learn. It was, you know, I was outside of my, my family's kind of bubble for the first time stepping into the world. And I thought the, the university would be a way for me to, actually power up and you know be able to show up but it was just a repetition of the end of the school system which has had some structures that i was still supposed to squeeze into and i was not finding the 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 transformational forces that were big enough to liberate something i knew that was inside of me and inside of the people around me that was just stuck in there so i had to start i started a meeting on thursday nights at 7 30 i would have a meeting every week and the people would come and and we would just do experiments. And the thing is that um, at first we had really had no idea what we were doing. And but we didn't we weren't using drugs and we were using rock and roll and sex. We were, we were just doing wild experiments. We we're doing. Can you do this? What can, how about being centered? What about speaking? What about feeling something? What about being able to do something that you never did? feel too for it and get keep your balance keep your center keep contact keep creating really about creating and so what happened was was some of the experiments worked that we were able to people actually their lives got bigger the the, the transformation actually started to happen and more more people became more capable of being responsible which means they could create more in the world and that thing that builds inside of us step by step, we learn to call it the matrix that holds the distinctions. Uh, they hold more conscious. This thing is a, has a, a started to grow in the people. So that people became more able to be more responsible and that their whole lives would change. And so that, that whole, this whole transformational process doesn't have to be random and it doesn't have to be, it's not a, such a it could be more orderly and more understood and i'm i for 43 years we've been researching this and everything that worked we wrote down and everything that didn't work we tried not to do it again 
And so by now we've collected this massive amount of amazing possibilities for human beings and how to get there. And it's, it's more of a, of a, um, it's more of a science almost than, than magic. I mean, you know, Robert Heinlein was famous for saying that one man's technology is another man's magic. And we, this technology has been um, proving itself over and over again. And it, we just had to call it something. So we called it possibility management because when somebody's more able to be responsible, they also have more access to more possibilities and they can make those possibilities available to other people which is a big service to the community or a group or project or team or company or neighborhood. It's really a big service. And so some people have that job of being able to create possibility and manage possibility because sometimes people have too many possibilities and they don't know what to choose from. They're overwhelmed by so many possibilities. So you have to distill which possibilities are most valuable. And those. So this is possibility management. That's what it's about. I like the fact that you've taken four decades of real work with people mm. uh, to develop this. Uh, it's not A, B, or C system that we are often given on a plate. Like, uh, here's NLP, and if you do this, this, and this, you'll become this, this, and this. Mm. Uh, it's not, it doesn't seem to be menu-driven. And uh, you work through experimentation, which is how true science should happen. Throw out what doesn't work. Dump the theories that ain't going to do anything for people. And hold on mm -hmm. to what actually works. I like the idea that it has uh, responsibility connected to. This seems to be a very important concept that we have uh, largely gone adrift from. Uh, in, mm -hmm. in what I will hesitate to call the me generation. Uh, where you can you can expand your possibilities and be whoever the hell you like, uh, and and never mind how it affects other people. So that's a big difference right away. So in your training, tell me a little bit more about how people uh, found this responsibility within themselves through the group that work that you were doing. So there's different kinds of processes that people go through in the training programs or the possibility teams that we recommend people start their own possibility team locally in their, in their living room with their friends or people who are in their neighborhood to mirror back to each other what's really going on. So a, a, a close assessment of current reality is crucial to having a you know, a foothold, uh, something to stand on. And sometimes the, the feedback that some people get about who they are being in relationship with other people, it, it's so shocking for them. They never had the idea that they were using, we call the word gremlin. Gremlin is this shadow part of ourselves that is purposes to defend us, but it will do anything. It will destroy any space at any time for no, for the reason of protecting us for survival. So it guarantees that we're in survival, but when that functions in a social context, everybody loses, really. The, the, so when the grumbling part of us is functioning in a group just so because we're afraid, we're embarrassed, we are, and we just are trying to survive in a social environment, and the gremlin is speaking out of our mouth and running what we perceive, it, it um, destroys the possibilities. And so then in a group, all of a sudden, people get mirroring back from the others about who they are actually being in connection with the other people. And this is so fabulous for, um, for sort of putting that crack in there, that first crack in the box to, to go, oh my God, I mean, I really am like that. You know, if you look around in your daily life now, there are people who are completely impervious to feedback from And if that doesn't happen, if they don't get the feedback, their box crystallizes. And I'm sure that you know people who you, you meet them and every time it's the same story, the same wisecracks, the same victim stories, you know, complaining and blaming and resenting. And, and they're just stuck in that loop. And it's, it's, we just call it the box is getting crystallized. And so it's so important to start there with some sort of mirror, clear, a clear assessment of current reality. And, and then there's some inner resources that people need to tap into. For example, being centered is so important. It's a, and it's so, I think it's so uh, integrated in some ways into the Japanese culture in terms of the ancient traditional samurai. Centering is so 
is so crucial, critical to being present, being able to be present. So being centered is is the first step for being able to show up and take responsibility. And so we, we do a lot of centering exercises. And as soon as you get centered in your physical body and you start to actually feel what's in your body. And that's what really blew us away. When we were doing the research, we realized we did not know how to feel. We realized actually that modern culture had been really forcing upon us the idea that it is bad to feel and that there are bad or negative feelings like anger or sadness or fear and that there's actually one good feeling, which is joy. But actually, if you show up walking down the street joyful, that's one of the most dangerous feelings of all. People think you're on drugs. People think you don't take life seriously. People think you're childish. People think you don't have enough work to do. I mean, there's really, it's not okay to be glad either. <coughs> so we um, had to learn a whole vocabulary. <coughs> Excuse me. Some water, please. We had to have a whole vocabulary about how to inter-navigate our feelings experiences. And one of the main distinctions we discovered was that there's a difference between feelings and emotions. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and so uh, what we found was that feelings actually occur in the moment, have information and energy for us to use. And as soon as that information and energy is used to change things, start things, stop things, clean things up, clarify things, uh, invent things, whatever the, the feeling is used, it's gone in less than five minutes. And that's what feelings are for. It's a resource for us to actually deliver our archetypal lineage and our, our value to the community. Emotions no, that's, that... There's a word I want you to delineate further because I saw in your outline archetypal lineage what's the archetypal lineage we'll get there we'll get there good let me need to explain a couple of things so so the thing about emotions is that they feel exactly like feelings they feel like anger or sadness or joy or fear they feel the same but when they come up they last longer than five minutes uh-huh so I'm sure you've had the feeling of getting angry and an hour later you're still angry or you feel sad and the next day you're still sad or you feel afraid or maybe you have this kind of background fear that's going on and on and on like these or even being glad like before I discovered this I had this um, nice guy happy boy sunny boy show going on and I thought I was glad all the time. And when I discovered that it was emotional gladness, that it was a, actually a survival strategy to just put on that smiley face, it really shocked me. It really changed my whole world. And so it's a big distinction between feelings and emotions. And as soon as you start discovering that as an internal experience, then you, can, then you know that what you're feeling, you can detect in a couple of minutes, you know, is this a feeling or is this an emotion? And if it's an emotion, it's not bad or wrong. It's used for healing things. And if it's a feeling, it's used for handling things. And when you have an emotion come up, the healing process is a doorway to an emotional healing process that are fabulous. These are fabulous treasure, treasure caves. You go in there, you do the work, you come out with these new jewels of clarity, a new, whole new distinction. Your whole life kind of energetic body reorders and a lot more can come out that was <clears throat> suppressed by uh, old decisions or old fears or old conclusions or like stories that you have about yourself that are just locked in from a long time ago. So the healing processes from emotions are fantastic. They're not, shouldn't be thrown away. Can you give me an example, Clinton, of one of the early experiments where you had somebody in front of you and they couldn't quite get this difference between an emotion and a feeling and think about that individual and communicate with us how that individual got it the difference between an emotion and a feeling well i mean for my own experience i i remember the first feeling i ever had and i was about 39 years old wow so so most people listening to this talk will be able to start sooner than i did they'll be ahead of me and so 
I w- it was actually at a party and my boss was there and he said something to me at the party that was completely out of context. It was a manipulation. It was, an, it was going into my space and I exploded. I, I, I had worked with my feelings enough that it was completely crazy in terms of my box, but completely in alignment with my being. And this anger came up and I just, I shouted at him for about 20 seconds in this party space, full force. And I made a boundary for him to not do that with me ever again. I'm not going to do the thing, get out of my space and leave me alone and like, like stop it. And within about 10 seconds after that, I was turned around. I had, I was talking to somebody else in the party and actually I was laughing about something else completely different. And I thought I had just gone crazy. I thought I had just gone nuts over the edge because Previous to then, if I got angry at all, it lasted and lasted and lasted. And this time I was in a different space entirely. And the the anger had been used to make a boundary and express myself and and say what I wanted and what was not going to happen. And then I was in a different world with somebody else. And that was astonishing for me. And I've seen that happen more and more and more with people. So many people do this. And, and there's another thing that happened to me that I would like to share, which is that has to do with feelings and emotions, which is part of my, uh, the way that I could suppress my power to be so that I would be not left at the next gas station by my parents. You know, children are geniuses and have a lot of power and energy. And I, I had that, but to be acceptable and, and tolerable for my parents, I, I figured out a way to mix the experience of anger with my experience of sadness. And if you mix those both emotions together in your heart, in your emotional body, the experience is depression. So for the first 40 years of my life, I was ongoingly in a, in a depressed state. Here and there, I was this kind of a black cloud I would, that would come up whenever, whenever something would happen. And so I had no idea, it was so normal for me. I just thought life was like that until I learned how to separate my feelings, my these emotions, the anger I could separate from the sadness. It's kind of like red spaghetti and blue spaghetti. And it's when you do that process, it takes about a half hour, 20 minutes to a half hour. It's very loud. It's painful. It feels like ripping apart fish guts or something like that. But you end up with the anger over here and your sadness over here, and you're no longer depressed. And we've had people come in who have been on on antidepressive medicines for 20 years come and do this half hour process of separating their emotions of anger and sadness and that's it they don't need the drugs anymore and i'm not saying that will heal all depressive uh, depression forms because there's many different kinds but a good percentage of of the depressions vanish as soon as you unmix the emotions and we discovered this whole field of unmixing emotions was astonishing because there's things like Isolation or despair is a mixed emotion, and um, melancholy is a mixed emotion. Aggression is a mixed emotion. Hysteria is a mixed emotion. These things are are you can you can just separate them, and then you get the true power and of and the energy and the information of the pure feelings back. Man, you are you are back in life. That so this was an astonishing discovery that we made along this journey, and we've been able to get people really active and back in back in commitment and back in adventure and back in discovery through these kinds of processes i like this idea of an emotion being long lasting and a feeling being very transitory uh they're obviously very different uh like people like you said they'll get sad about something maybe uh, the boyfriend or the girlfriend left and well, I should be sad because of that. And so this emotion is actually upheld by a specific box, let's say, by a specific mental frame that thinks it's its job to keep this emotion going for some bizarre reason that we don't really know much about. I'm sure you do. But that the feeling will come uh, as a kind of a gift as an energetic package that you can use as a form of power. Would that be a correct understanding of what you said? Yes. The, first of all, you've just entered the domain of stories, 
whereas when it's these stories that can trigger the emotions and then the emotions since we actually feel the emotions we think oh my my god this story is true it's a true story he is bad or i have been left and abandoned or i am not good enough or nobody really loves me or i'm the best in the world or whatever these stories are that we carry around that are part of our survival scenario there they can get they can trigger these emotions and we use the emotions to confirm the story. And so if we don't actually understand how and why we make stories, that was kind of the next thing we discovered was what are these purposes behind the stories and the fact that you can actually take stories apart and, and re reinvent them and put new stories back together. We, we call it is glue. There's this stuff called is glue. And now uh, we <laughs> is doesn't exist in the world, really. It's this thing that human beings concoct in our mind as a concept that this is or this is not. And there's these words like I am uh, um, incapable or I am insufficient or I am um, important in the family or I am worthless in the family. And all these stories are glued together for us. And they cons they're part of the construct that you call that we're calling the box. And so that the the is gluing and is glue dissolver, you can take the stories apart and then you can start over again. It's so it's really it, it adds dimensions of joy and, and um wonder in about about our own um freedom of movement that we didn't have before because we were trapped inside this box, like you're saying. That's a guy called Alfred. Korzybski started the field of general semantics and he, he he actually ended up his research led to e prime which is uh. english language minus the verb to be and if you sit with somebody and ask them to not use the verb to be in any sentence at all it soon becomes apparent that everything they're observing and feeling uh, comes from their own observation their own consciousness there is no definitive any to be sick or to be rich or to be poor or to be unhappy anywhere actually in existence and i wrote journals for five years without using the verb to be it was an amazing exercise amazing you just don't use it and that's kind of what you just said you're separating mm -hmm. the story which is he is she is i am they are from what you're actually experiencing as a human being. And that separation, the fish guts, uh, seems to be a really important part of, you don't, I don't think you have to destroy the story, do you? You, you have to maybe uh, reinvent it. How, how do you see it? Well, you take responsibility for being a story maker. Aha, good. And then you have, then you have a new identity. It's a, it's a new, it's a, what do you call it? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an internal, it's an internal experience of who I am, what I am. And when you take responsibility for being a story maker, all of a sudden, the whole, the whole um, horizon of stories widens because you're not trapped in marketing, for example, you know, companies try to market things to us because we need this, you have to have this, you, you need to buy our services. You, and these are all stories. And if you snap, your, if your mind snaps into a story world, especially if it's backed by sexy women or feelings or you know, emotional stories, then, then it's hard to get out of that story world. And so you're having stuff you don't need or want and you end up submitting yourselves to uh, external authority figures in government and in politics and, you, and and religion and you end up giving your center away because the story world is so convincing because you don't you didn't expand yourself to take responsibility for being a story maker yourself and as soon as you become a story maker yourself you go ah nice story and you just kind of let it go by like the bullfighter lets the bull go by and you don't have to go into the story world and it's just an amazing expansion, but it's so central to, if I could use the word Gaia, being the consciousness of planet Earth and being the, the designer of this incredible, like unspeakably diverse biological experimentation that's been going on for billions of years on the planet. And the, 
the current um, experiment that she's got going on of human beings who have this capacity for self-awareness and for being aware that we're aware. And this experiment has, has, was a risk for Gaia to take because in order for us to not be identified with our body and identified with our psychology and mind and feelings and emotions, we have to go through these initiatory processes. And so she's counting on us getting it together. Like we have the, this gift of being able to have this conversation like this, you and I right now and people listening to us right now, this is Gaia having a conversation with herself and in, on the planet right now, this may be one of the cutting edges of human consciousness unfolding right now on the planet. And this is Gaia celebrating this, but the, the risk that she took was to, to make it possible for organic forms to become self-aware. And it's an, it's a dangerous experiment for a planet to undertake. And, and so that the whole um, bit about the stories is that if we don't take responsibility for the stories, then we're trapped in a smaller um, belief systems rather than being human, rather than being initiated, fully adult, human, present in the world as a representative of Gaia. You know, instead of I need to make money, I need to have power, I need to have a house. It's like we become more planet-centered rather than culture-centered or company-centered or religion-centered or something like that, neighborhood-centered. Instead, we become planet-centered, become planetary citizens. And I think this is where Gaia was, is going with the possibility that we've been offered to be humans on, on Earth. And I'm, I'm uh, scared and glad to be alive at this time because the outcome is uncertain as to if we're going to make it or not. And I'm doing and you can to create places where people can come out of the the, mm, the diminished perceptions and diminished capacities that we can actually become fully initiated adult men and women and actually shift out of the capitalistic patriarchal empire into a new culture that's emerging in many places around the world right now. I call it next culture or I call it archiarchy. And archiarchy is the the creative collaboration initiated with adult initiated men, and so and then it's the it's the initiated adults who are um, at the top. So that's the archiarchy is like the this collaborative from the archetypal forms that are within us. That that instead of the matriarchy or patriarchy, it's the archiarchy actually active in the world. And I think that's where the plan was. I think that's kind of Gaia's plan is that the earth is paradise and it can be inhabited with, you know, initiated, awake, adult, loving, creative, responsible, joyful, um, em emerging and evolving human beings. And that's really what the picture is. And I'm, I'm happy to be part of it. And I just hope we make it. I really I want to do everything we can that we can do it. And it's personal. It's very personal. It's like you said, it's like the, the initiatory processes are very personal. It's if you don't evolve, nobody can do it for you. On the other hand, nobody can stop you from doing it. And I think that's why it's so important that it, in Japan that we that we bring this there. And that um, there's so many people in Japan who who are asking questions and who are up against the system. You know, they're up against the 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 beliefs, you know, the, what a Japanese person can or cannot do. And their spirit inside is going, Hey, I'm, I'm bigger than this, or I'm, I want to try something else. And then there's these, these customs and rules and behavior patterns and these forms that are, these are set. And um, that's where it's really important to become a game world builder, to realize that culture is actually a game world. A game world is, is a construct that human beings we build constructs to, to live in the world and so you can you can think of the word game world like for example a grocery store is a game world well how do you play grocery store well you go in there and you get a cart and you take all the food off the shelf put it in your basket and go to the, the cashier and then you have to pay. oh my god you have to be in another game world to pay to play grocery store you have to be in the game world of money 
So, okay, how does money work? Well, you have to believe that these little pieces of paper have value. You know, they don't. They're just little curious, cute little pieces of paper. But you have to believe that they have value. And then you have to exchange your hours to get those things or figure out some way to get those things. And then sometimes you have to pay by credit card. Well, how do you, how do you play in the game world credit card? Well, first you have to put money in a bank. You have to play in the bank game world and then add on the credit card game world. And then you can go to the grocery store and give them the piece of plastic and then they will give you the groceries. So school is a game world. Church is a game world. Football is a game world. Uh, a company is a game world. So, that, so our, our lives are made up with many different game worlds that we play in. And when you start taking responsibility for choosing which game worlds you want to play in, because you support the values of any game world that you play in. So if you consciously choose which game worlds that you play in, then all of a sudden you become a game world builder. You can choose you, and you start building game worlds that you would love to live in. And that's our opportunity right now is to invent and move into culture that is mature and elegant and loving that we would love to live in. And we have this in us. We have this vision. It's like part of the hardware. It's in there, this vision of a culture that we would love to live in. But that involves building a, a game world, a culture that makes the current game world irrelevant. It's not about fighting the current game world. It's about inventing new game worlds that make the current game world's completely irrelevant. So the idea is don't be left behind playing in a stupid game world, but that involves making cool game worlds. You quoted Buckminster Fuller saying, you won't change things by fighting against the existing game worlds. You change things by building and moving into new game worlds that make the existing game worlds irrelevant. Well, that's, very clearly happening in Japan, which you were kind enough to mention. I know that you're finding that it's the women who are way ahead of the curve right now on this mm. planet in understanding the need, uh, the pressing need for the next culture. And in Japan, it's entirely obvious that the women uh, are light years ahead mm. of the stuck in the ancient story men. And it's created a huge bifurcation that nobody seems to quite notice yet. Because if you stick your head out of the box far enough and notice that, you realize we got a big problem. Mm. It'll, it's going gonna, it's gonna to explode the family system. The women are not interested in having children and getting married and doing that story anymore. They want more freedom. They want to learn desperately new things. They are flexible, open-minded, sensitive, intelligent. I mean, the, the adjectives keep on going. We've been working with people for 20 years, 80% women. So it's clear that Gaia may have chosen uh, this way of uh, cracking open the shell. And you have found the same according to some of the information you sent me. Tell me more about how the women are responding and how the men are responding to your work. It's, it, it's pretty astonishing that quite often there's at least as many men or even sometimes more men in our work than women. And I have worked hard about that because of my own personal work, my own process of having to face up to being born and raised in a capitalist patriarchal empire like as a as a little boy as a baby boys have to make this crucial decision do you join the patriarchy or not yeah do you do you, do you match into your dad's image or the of all the men you know are they going to accept somebody into the secret club of being a man the men are, are you know have the special uh the value of a boy son you know, a son child, a boy child, like all of that. Um, and, and if you make the decision, no, if you make the decision, no, I'm not joining the patriarchy. Well, a lot of, there are these things called sudden infant death syndrome, that babies often just die for no apparent reason. One of the reasons could be choosing to not join the patriarchy. If you do decide to join the patriarchy and survive, you sacrifice 
your, your central essential self to taking on the role model of fitting into this model of being a patriarch. And women usually don't realize the sacrifice that men make to take on the, the power role of being a, a male in the patriarchy. They don't know the suffering that they're in. They're like, they're, they've cut themselves off at such a deep level from their, their core nature, natu natural being. They cut it off to join the patriarchy. So a man to, to get out of the patriarchy, if he, he's faced with having to feel way back at the very beginning, this original rage, it's actually rage and, and terror of having to sacrifice himself to join a fake world. It's a fake world called the patriarchy. It's so artificial and it's so adolescent. And it's a just shame that we, uh, that we are stuck in that cycle right now because it's, it's like pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. It's a lot of work for a man to escape the patriarchy. It's easier for women to escape the patriarchy because they're not sucked into the whole, the whole role model of being the power people, you know, being the, the main ones, the good ones, the better ones. You know, the, you know, the women have, have in the patriarchy are almost possessions. It's, it's incredible that it was only a hundred years ago that women were allowed to vote or, um, um, or other um, sex slaves. This is objects, uh, um, baggage almost. You know, it's like a burden almost. It's like if you're a burden and baggage, and you, you, it's no problem to shift. You just you can you get this ability to let go of things and shift, and you get way into studying a new option. So women can experiment a lot more effectively than the men because the men have to sacrifice this this um, this fossilization into this image, this role of being a patriarch, one of the men. And so it's, it's such a painful thing for the men and men are doing it. There are men doing it, but, but women do it so much easily. One of the biggest complaints that the women have who step into their own power and their own creative force, they look around and go, where are the men? Ah. Because, because even the most powerful, rich, wealthy, movie star or politician or businessman is an uninitiated adolescent working at a various positions in a hierarchical power structure, thinking that that's uh, being an adult. And it's so, it's such a foolish uh, self-deception and the women see that. And it's very painful for the women to come into their own amazing experience of life on planet earth as initiated adult women. And then going around, where's, where are the men? Where's my partners? Where's my mate? Where's my colleague? Where are the ones who can actually play, you know, at this level? Well, you've just, mommy and you've just encapsulated the current situation in Japan, where there are millions upon millions of women feeling exactly that. Uh, in the old days, they would literally just go off to the monetary, the, the, nun, the nunnery, to, to have some kind of a spiritual life that was accepted. Now there are more options. Uh, however, many of those options are like spiritual shopping where they'll get something that they can perhaps deal with or play with for a while, but it's not really addressing the issue. And you've just addressed the issue, which is an overarching patriarchy uh, holding this entire planet in its feeble grasp. And uh, it's obvious to the women, but it's not obvious to the patriarchal individuals what's going on. So you're seeing it in, in Europe where your field of play mainly is. I'm seeing it in Japan. There's a massive experiment. Something is going on. It might work. It might not work. And, and there's the rub. Uh, you mentioned that you're aware of how much methane lies trapped under the tundra and what that could mean for the future of the planet. Uh, we are facing some very serious uh, initiatory rights coming up, but what keeps you going uh, every day? What, what gets you out of bed? What is the driving power right now that despite all, you know, efforts still, it's, it's very, very slow work. Mm. I experienced two 
two main forces. One is a vacuum and one is a pressure. And the pressure comes from my archetypal lineage, which we'll talk about this huge flow of clarity and jewels and distinctions and possibility and experiments and initiatory processes. And the, the path is laid out so clearly on what's possible for, for un, us to unfold our potential at, in working in teams and groups and and then building game worlds like societies and cultures of, of like-minded beings who are experimenting and sharing what they learn and, and discover. And this, this pressure behind me just forces me out of bed in the morning. That's what happened this morning. I was out of bed at, and creating a, the, the work that we're working on is a, we're putting online as, as we can the experiments and exercises and making them available in a, a network of over a hundred websites that we're calling startover.xyz. And um, they're so using the tools and the maps and everything from possibility management. And so that's this pressure. It's this massive amount of, of pressure. And the vacuum for me comes from people's necessity. And so each, each person I meet and get to know, uh, because of my work in the last decades, I've, I have this ability to perceive potential. Like what, what's, And what is in the way of that person's uh, unfolding that potential? And so the steps are so clear, and it's this, 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 their necessity calls me out. So we, we are kind of ongoingly doing talks and workshops and trainings and single coaching sessions and wherever we can, conferences, like the Global Ecovillage Network Conference or even the Boom Festival in Portugal this year. We, were, we had workshops with hundreds of people in large tents doing experiments with each other. It's just experiment because when you have the experience – I, it doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter what, what, how it confronts or contradicts the concepts or the constructs. It doesn't matter. If you have the experience, you have a whole new start. So that potential is this vacuum that calls me out. And, it's, and it's, I, I named the experience high-level fun. It's actually ecstatic to create possibilities for people to to unfold and show up more and, and just be excited and ecstatic about their life. For me, that's that's very attractive. It's just a completely, it's wildly attractive. So that's the vacuum. Uh, I can definitely see how that would get you out of bed in the morning. Um, the, the necessity is there. You're doing the work. You're about to create this whole new system. You're going to New Zealand. You've been in the field for 40 years. And... We're now at 2018. So how do you see, how do you see, for example, this work in New Zealand uh, evolving based on everything you've done so far? Have you been there before? Have you worked with people there before? How did it come about that you're going to New Zealand? I think there's a force at work on the planet called the Earth Coincidence Control Office. And well, Lily, when yeah. I first... <laughs> and it's it's like it's beyond my ability to um, choose, you know, concoct and choose the right way to go. What I've done more recently in the last ten years or so is trust in the the instructions, struck trust in the obvious path, you know, trust in the invitations that I'm, are being given, even if they're scary or even if they're bigger than I think I can do or even if they're from a new place uh, to accept the invitations. And so that's what's been happening is that people have been uh, in it's seemingly a random way moving around the earth or waking up or people just find the possibility management, expand the box training. They've heard about it. Some friend of a friend tells somebody, they read an article, they read a book, they wake up, it sparks something in them and they call us, they call us there. And so, What's amazing in, for example, New Zealand is the first real um, excited contact to get back in touch with us that we're coming there was a radio station run by Maoris, the Maori people. So this is the indigenous New Zealanders who have who have their traditions and have their 
and yet are still looking for something. They're still, they're still on this evolutionary path. They're not set. They don't have a, a definition of success that they're satisfied with. And they're totally in, in contact with the earth and the nature and the, what's the destruction and the possibilities that's happening there. And they know something really different is needed. And so how it's going to unfold in, in New Zealand is we're working with the New Zealand shamans and the New Zealand tribes and the different villages and the, the, that, and that's happening also that way. So it's wow. a surprise. That's amazing. That's definitely echoate work. That's the archetypal lineage coming through echo and drawing you towards uh, new horizons. I like the idea of working with the Maori. People who are listening to this now uh, are going to be asking themselves, what can I do today, right now, to get centered, to uh, expand the box, to start connecting with what you're talking about? What can I do right now? Give us some advice. There's so many things actually right now, thanks a lot to the internet, that you can directly access stuff that you would never have encountered before. So it's taken me 43 years of, of you know, front lines research of really casting myself over the edge, as you know what that's like, and just hoping that something will catch me or I'll, I'll sprout some wings or something. Um, to, to find these things and I can share them and, and other people can share them also on the internet. And so there's, there's an internet uh, sources for like, we're sharing what we call these sparks, these specific practical applications of radical knowledge. Uh, we're putting them online as fast as we can. There's 189 right now. And each one is, has one or two or three experiments in them. When, if you actually do the experiment, you, you build the matrix in your body to catch more consciousness and you become more responsible then. And then you can create different things in the world. You see things differently. It changes the design of your box. Each new distinction you get experientially changes the design of your box. And that's a very personal thing. That, like I said, nobody can do it for you, but nobody can stop you from doing it. And so people have we get lots of mail from people who actually just start with spark number one and they do the experiment spark number two, they do the experiment and they start doing these sparks and it, it changes their life and it gives them their center back and it gives them their voice back and their feelings back and their attention back. And it gives them a lot of power and awareness to create different results in their life. So one thing they can do is subscribe to sparks for free can get them and right now we only have them in uh, several languages not including Japanese so they are in English they're coming out in Greek and Italian and French but not in Japanese yet well we got one in Japanese I think we need, we need a lot more uh, yes I have encountered uh, sparks and I found it very enlightening uh, very useful uh, one of the sparks that I accessed said something like uh, you believe that you have to feel a certain way before certain things can happen. Well, mm. let's just look at that for a minute. That if, if I don't feel this way, then I can't do A, B, C, D, or E. Well, is that true? Or, or is that, in fact, just a story? And I worked mm. through two or three pages of notes, and I, and I quickly realized, no, it's, it's not true. It is just a story. So I would also recommend people start with Sparks. We'll get the information out and hopefully get some volunteer translators to get on the job uh, with the sparks that have, uh, you said 150 or so, have, uh, that's a lot of work, that's a lot of creative work. You've also got websites, you've got lots of material out there, including uh, videos of you in action uh, mm -hmm. at different um, workshops. You've created a whole bunch of new trainers. Tell us a little bit about your trainers and how, how that's working. Well, we have about 30 active trainers right now delivering expand the box training all in different everywhere around the world. And there's more people learning to do that. So there's certain people who are who just love to to share this kind of thing. And, and the, some people think that they're teachers and there's a difference between an educator and a trainer. So people have wanted to be trainers. And but they end up in a teaching profession, and so if that would so people who who are teachers but they're missing something, like for example, you know, 
teachers are providing information to think about and they fill up the mind with information about what's already known that you can think about. Whereas trainers enter the unknown and provide things to think with, which are new distinctions or new thought maps for to think with about what hasn't been thought before. And and to be able to step into the unknown. And these are trainers who provide that kind of thing. So a training is very different from a class. And so um, that's one of the things is I'm sure in Japan, there are a number of people who would love to be deliver possibility management, expand the box trainings, possibility labs, possibility teams, possibility coaching. There's all these things that people can deliver and actually make enough money to survive on. You don't ever get rich or famous doing it, but you get enough money to survive on because people are more than happy to pay for an emotional healing process that saves them three years of therapy. You know, it's like in a, in one hour, two hour session, you can go through something that will heal stuff that, uh, that therapy, psychological analysis isn't really prepared to do. And so, there's, there's huge opportunity for people to step into um, their actual calling, you know, their own archetypal lineage. It's this force behind them. The archetypal lineage is a force that's behind you that is a service to the village, the people of your community, that is, has, it's a archetypal in nature, meaning every village needs this service. And so this is where the, the healers and the edgeworks and the, we don't even have the right words for them. It's the magician, the sorceress, the wizard, the the alchemist, you know, these these words that, that don't even really approximate the kind of service that's needed right now. You know, we're we're just missing that in modern culture. We we rely so much on the mind and the intellect, and that's such a small resource compared to the other resources that are available. I we're running short on time, but you just mentioned this thing about how there's there's understanding about the sun, about the force of the sun. And in possibility management, one of the first things you can do, it's in chapter eight of the Directing the Power of Conscious Feelings book, and it'll also be on a website soon, is how to distill your bright principles. So it's like this bright consciousness, this, this force of raw consciousness is can be... Um, is split elements and each one of us has chosen three, four or five of these elements to serve. And you can find those elements in your life. We call it distilling your bright principles. And when you, when you, when you distinguish which of your bright principles are actually yours, then you, you can hook into them and they, they just rush right through you and they serve the people that you're serving. They, they, they don't have hands and eyes and a mouth, so they can't, work in the world but through you can be the space through which your bright principles do their work in the world what a great life that is yeah it's, it's so much in alignment and you get to <clears throat> it sounds a lot yeah. like it sounds a lot like finding your genius which the 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 ancient ones never figured were inside them the genius was all always called in from somewhere else the bright principle was called in from somewhere else well clinton we've had some internet interference as we've spoken uh some of it has been slowed down and there's always interference i notice when extremely important things are being discussed uh it's kind of a pattern but there's so much juicy material in this interview that people can go and get farther information about from everything that you've discussed what's your main website where people can actually get into everything right now well the main one is called possibility management.org good and i have my own yeah i have my own clinton callahan.org but that's it's a but the main one is possibility management.org and there's also uh, an amazing website up there now called The Distinctionary. It's oh. distinctionary, like dictionary, but with distinctions. Distinctionary.xyz. And this thing is so full of, of amazing uh, distinctions. 
to understand and work with. So I invite people to look at the distinctionary also, distinctionary.xyz. Well, I hope, uh, in fact, I know that this is only the first of uh, several discussions because you've got, uh, if what you had just shared with me was one book, you've actually got 10 books in there. And <laughs> each book needs to have Mm. issues deepened but of course that's what you're doing through workshop and training uh, however I'm sure that our listeners are getting the importance and the significance of mm -hmm. why you and why now and why this because uh, we're in desperate need of reconnecting with the ancestors with Gaia with our true lineage we're in desperate need of it clearly and here in Japan it's uh, I think it's even more desperate. There's more and more depression. Uh, mm -hmm. People are getting, are getting more and more enfeebled and dependent on uh, silly people to try and fix them. And they're really, what is beautiful about the Japanese is they, they instinctively understand something that's real, something that has uh, intrinsic uh, power and beauty. And I'm mm -hmm. sure that when they do come across your work, as they will, there will be an opportunity unfolds for you to come back uh, to Japan, uh, to a different Osaka, <laughs> very different. But uh, we'll look forward to that unfolding. Mm. So on that happy note, Clinton, I thank you kindly for your time. And uh, I'm going to stop recording.